This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 15, featuring Bill Bartholomew. Bill Bartholomew is a Bushwick legend, good friend of mine. He recently launched a podcast called Bartholomew Town. He's a prolific singer-songwriter, producer. He actually produced my first EP, Kill the Kittens, um, and just, a, like I said, a Bushwick legend. We go back to the Potion Collective days. Um, I had a great time catching up with him. He's now based back in his hometown of Rhode Island, but comes to New York a lot. And uh, his podcast is really solid. I recommend you check that out, Bartholomew Town. If you were there back in the Potion Collective days, he does a rendition of one of his songs that he would do sometimes back in those days. And for those of you who weren't there, uh, you'll be able to hear some of the songwriting that Bill does. Want to give a quick reminder that uh, this is the last weekend for Tamara Wasserman. This is real. This is me. Slingshot Theater Company. It's at the pit. Uh, my conversation with Dre Sewell last week talked about that. But right now, let's uh, get into this conversation with Bill Bartholomew. Let's have a conversation. I'm going to go ahead. Well, actually, I've actually already started recording, cool. um, but I'm going to go ahead and, you know, just get it going. Get it going, man. How you doing? I'm great. Feeling uh, good to be back in the city. Been back now for like uh, about 15 minutes and uh, already feeling the magic here in Bushwick. How long have you been technically not living in Bushwick now? Let's see. Well, Bushwick, it's Bushwick proper. I moved to... Um, well, I moved to Bed-Stuy and, and Ridgewood at the yeah. end of my stint, but like, you know, I still... Was, I consider that the yeah, greater Bushwick area. Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of like the the housing for uh, for us, and then the studio is in Bushwick proper. Mm-hmm. Um, we moved to, we being um, my wife and I and Richard Sullivan, uh, we all, we the three of us moved up from uh, Brooklyn to Newport, Rhode Island in March, actually April. 2016 so it's we've just passed the two-year point of not living in new york and did you so richard sullivan i know from back in the day also does he like does he work with you in some capacity or did you know him before yeah we knew him from the g at, yeah. um and at, at potion collective and mckibben i we've known him since 2010 and he was looking for a change as well from, from brooklyn it just kind of made sense he does do some film work with us and um he's just one of those characters that you know, i just bounce ideas off of a lot and vice versa you know so yeah it was kind of cool to have him join us so it wasn't just gabrielle and i moving mm-hmm. you know it was kind of like a little bit more new york came with us yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and so um and you recently launched a podcast uh bartholomew town um yes I've, indeed i've been listening to it uh, it's good stuff hey thanks um and lately i know You've gotten a lot of uh, political people on. Yeah, and that really wasn't necessarily my plan. It mm. was, I didn't really have a plan. You know, I just have had a fascination with radio um, and broadcasting since I was a little kid, really since I can remember um, being 
interest in music as a performer and, and working on drums and guitar and singing and all that, writing music, all that I did as a little kid. But I also had my own little radio station in my childhood bedroom that I would broadcast to my neighborhood just by blasting speakers. Yeah. And I had a karaoke machine so I could do voiceover. So this is something that's kind of implanted for a really long time. During, I guess, the end of my time in, in college, like 2004, I, start, I suddenly discovered sports talk radio. And I just love the personalities and the characters and the, the pictures that they were able to paint with the microphone through, through speaking. When I got to New York, I discovered this guy, Mike Francesa. Mike and the Mad Dog, another sports show, but I just love the energy, the creativity that was coming across the microphone, and you know, I just listened to so much of this that I found myself listening to talk radio more than music mm-hmm. for a long time. I listened to way more of it, and uh, and that just like it really it really stuck with me when I moved to Newport two years ago. I, in the back of my mind, I said, you know what, maybe it's time to launch some kind of broadcast project, whatever that may be. Yeah. And, um, you know, earlier this year, I was like, let's do it. Let's just do the podcast. It's been on my mind. See where it goes. Um, and I was able to land a couple of great guests at the beginning. And that, of course, just helped the snowball effect of being able to book more guests. And we've been, you know, we, we launched exactly a month or two months ago, rather. March 20th, mm-hmm. and uh, we're about to put out episode 21, um, where it is, it's just me. You know, I'm the producer, janitor, host, yeah. and all that, as yep. you know. Um, Gabriella does help me a lot with just ideas, and she was helping me engineer at the beginning and things like that, too. It's um, funny, like, because for me, like, there have been a couple of people, oh, why don't you partner with this thing and partner with that? And for me, I'm, I know you for a long time, so I'm guessing you have a similar mindset, which I'm not against partnering. However, on the other hand, the medium of podcasting, what appeals to me is that you can do it all yourself. Um, Because the thing that makes me hesitant about partnering with other people is what that means like for the future. Definitely. And editorial situations. Like creative control. Right. And I think what I've discovered... um, you know, through my own experiences here putting out this podcast, also doing some work for some radio stations in New England in the last few years, especially on the behind the scenes side, the sales and, and underwriting side of things. Uh, and then also from interviewing some great radio and independent sort of new media hosts as well on my show, that when you build partnerships rather than, um, or I guess you, distribution partnerships rather than like true editorial partnerships that's really what you want to go for one of my right. biggest inspirations in Rhode Island and just in general is this guy Jim Hummel he was a television and and, and news uh, paper reporter for many years and the last 10 years he's been doing his own investigative video reports and they're great they're well edited they're entertaining and you know he does the set you know he ambushes people with a camera and all that stuff it's entertaining it's about 10 minutes per episode but what really makes it reach people he has a partnership with the Providence Journal, the state's largest newspaper, uh, 630 WPRO, the state's largest talk radio station, and he has a partnership with uh, Rhode Island PBS, so he has a television partnership. They don't have any editorial control. They just distribute the podcast. So my podcast has a relationship like that with the state's second largest newspaper, the Newport Buzz, and they have no—I don't get any money from them. They don't get any money from me. Right. It's just exposure— kind of a mutual sharing of each other's platforms. Um, and he doesn't get to say, 
hey, do this in the interview or anything like that. He, but he does benefit from getting clicks from mm-hmm. when it comes out. So I'm, I think those kind of relationships can help. But the idea that someone would, you know, you'd pair up with someone and then all of a sudden you'd be under the auspices of their yeah. guidelines. That's insane. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, there's because there's some new uh, companies coming out. I don't know. I've been hit up by some of them. You probably have too. And I've also heard other networks and other experienced people kind of like some of them. Some people are, you know, I mean, everybody has to make their own decisions, and that's what's good about it. But uh, some of them are offering like, oh, hey, we'll we'll distribute it all for like kind of. It's kind of like taking the whole, not just that they're helping distribute, but that they're kind of taking control of everything of like on the distribution end. And that I think is like, it's good to have those partnerships as you say, but I'm weary of somebody else being in control of the entire distribution. You know, it sounds a lot like being a musician and we're lucky that (laughs) we've been through that experience where, you know, then the carrots they'll dangle the, you know, there was even a contest, which I admittedly did submit to for Squarespace and, um, Gimlet, yeah. You know, I, I submitted to that last night, last minute, and then, then at the same time, I'm like, well, I wouldn't want to turn the show over to anybody. Right. Uh, at the same time, maybe there's a partnership there. There's all kinds of low-level people who are advertising themselves as podcasting experts, and they're going to get you 15,000 listens on your episode. And to me, that's like, as from the experience of playing music, I'm sure you'd agree, you know, you can blast 15,000 people on Spotify or YouTube or whatever and maybe get the numbers. But if you're actually blasting 150 people that really listen to it and really care about it, that's the captive audience that yeah. you need and you want. And, they're, you know, those part, those kinds of companies, they I don't think they can really deliver you an authentic audience, just sort of hype numbers. And, yeah. You know, it's nonsense, really. Yeah. Yeah. So man, how's it? How's it? <laughs> it's really interesting talking to you, being on kind of a parallel because I remember, like, I've been thinking about doing this for a while too, yep. and I think like last summer we talked, and you were like, "Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing." And then, right. as it would turn out, we launched. Like, I launched a little bit after you. Like, so it's been about a little over a month for me. Really, um, you have a lot of momentum. You, if you, you're. Google whatever you type in Bushwick VAR and I think it comes up right away. Cool. So, yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. But you know, um, grinding, you know, hard work, and it is about just going at. Like I think it's a. I like it because I feel like it's like podcasting. I felt an urgency to do it like now, and the longer I waited, I was like, we need to do this, get in now because. Um, I feel like where podcasting is is where like YouTube was maybe like ten years ago, which there were already like there were already established people ten years ago, um, and like podcasting's been around for a while. And obviously, there's some veterans who've been super successful in it, but it's still kind of a thing where people are starting. A lot of people are starting now. Like I'm hearing a lot of companies talking about like, oh, this is a whole like new medium we need to be doing, kind of like social media and everything else, Instagram, a lot of people are starting to get into it like yeah. right now. So there's like an an urgency to get in kind of on the ground floor, even though it's like already, you know, it's not the ground floor anymore, but it's like, I feel like there's still a lot of opportunity here, you know? Most definitely. And I think that, yeah, there's been, I don't know how long pot the war, I don't know when the word podcast was invented or whatever. I would guess it would go back to the time where iPods were, so it predate the yeah. iPhone. So somewhere in that range, I don't know, but 
it's uh, it's definitely been around, and there's also different people have different ideas of what a podcast is. So you'll hear a talk radio host, for example, just take a recording of their show and put it online, and then that's their podcast. I mean, yeah. Is that really a podcast, or is that just audio available on demand as a streaming file? So I am not a purist. I don't. Admittedly, I haven't listened to. Uh, that many podcasts um, extensively. I mean, I have for sure listened to dozens, you know, yeah. at the, in reality, but not anywhere near as much as I've studied radio. And yeah. I think that we're at a point now where it's uh, podcasting potentially is going to replace what has been the role of radio for many years, you know, along with Spotify and, and uh, it, not just talk radio, just in terms of uh, advertising, but also in terms, it'll be more than Squarespace and Blue Apron pretty soon. That right. you'll hear Home Depot commercials, and you'll hear, you know, other media outlets putting their stuff out there regularly. Shout outs to Blue Apron and Squarespace. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> send the uh, send the checks. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it is no, it's true. It, it's a, it's a new time. Um, it does seem like a lot of people are getting into podcasting now, and that probably was part of my motivation. I think there was a clinic being offered in Rhode Island sometime in February that said, hey, here's how you start a podcast. Um, come to this three-day workshop at AS220, which is basically the art the arts uh, nonprofit space in Providence, and we'll teach you how to do it. I think when I saw that, I said, oh, man, I better get mine launched before – there's four or five or six or seven other people doing the same thing, you know? Yeah. So that was a motivation. Um, another side of it was too, I thought about maybe going to with my wife, Gabby, she's back in school at RISD. I'm still full speed ahead in music for sure. But I thought maybe I'll go to the Connecticut school of broadcasting, you know, and learn another level of this industry and more than anything, make connections. And I was like, well, actually let me, after talking to some people who work in the industry, particularly in radio and television and, and, some digital, uh, they suggest just do a podcast, man. Yeah. You'll save 14 grand yep. and do a podcast. You don't need to like, what are they going to teach you there? Uh, if you know how to operate. Interview the people like on your podcast. Right, like, exactly. It's a great way. Like that's been one of my favorite things about it is um, people are willing to sit down and talk to you, period. Right. But especially like on a podcast because they're getting to share their ideas and their visions with you and like a greater audience that they want, like everybody wants to connect to, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's a great platform. And for politicians, uh, it has been very cool because they're used to going into a talk radio situation or of course on a, you know, the six o'clock news. I mean, they might get 13 seconds of FaceTime. Um, whereas I've had some gubernatorial candidates and people like this come in and lay, lay out two hours of, of information Yeah, and we're going back and forth. And for them, it's kind of like, oh, man, this is a great way to communicate. Now, realistically, how many people listen to the two hours of information start to finish? I don't know. I mean, the, the, they do get a lot of listens. So I don't know how many people really sit through all two hours. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's there for the listener. And in the case of a politician, the voter, or in the case of a music fan, you know, the content, whatever it may be, it's there for you to access. So if you really want it, you can find it now with podcasts. Yeah. You know. Yep. So, um, podcasting, music, yep. where do you see yourself like in the, in the world? Like, and wh where do you see yourself going? And that's kind of a, yeah, this will, this will sound a little bit, um, I don't know, maybe ridiculous, but I, I truly have come to the point where I see myself as an artist. I yep. think that's my title. 
Um, and in that capacity, mostly writing songs, performing artists, you know, performing mm-hmm. on stage, writing songs, making records, doing this podcast, occasionally drawing stuff, whatever it is, being a creative person. And I've kind of accepted that, um, you know, from a, from a professional standpoint, I'm willing to make money <laughs> from right. whatever. It doesn't have to be just touring and playing arenas as a songwriter. I think accepting that that'll be a huge part of what I do. It already is, and hopefully it will grow to be more substantial. Um, But allowing podcasting and then through that voiceover or fill-in radio opportunities and things like this, allowing this world to kind of uh, be married with myself as a songwriter and a performer. Um, I see myself just putting as much work as I can into these all of these things, uh, living bare bones as I am, um, and grinding it out until one of those things uh, or all of them are at the level that they're where I'm comfortable with. You know? yeah. And right now, even though I'm very proud of the work that's been done on the music side with the band and some of the other stuff I've been doing, and I'm excited about the podcast, um, I feel like I have a long way to go before I'll be at that point where I'm like, all right, you know, we're feeling like we're in, we're rolling. You yeah. Know? And I've been at it, you know, a while now too. So yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a crazy industry, you know. It's, I mean, it's also interesting that I think it's still to embrace that and to understand, like, even like when you think of like the Joe Rogans and like the Mark Marins, for example, who they've they're like comedy and and through podcasting, and those two, they've, uh, I think, you know, from our perspective, looking at them they found that comfortable place. But on the other hand, they're still grinding it out and they're still restless because it's not all about that. Like you're not doing this all for the money. Otherwise there are other ways to make money. If that were all it, like, of course, don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't want to make a living. You don't want to make a living, but like, yeah, the artist calling is kind of committing yourself to the grind and the struggle um, to grow, you know, and to, Develop the, definitely, and that's one thing that I've found as a commonality in my interviews of recent uh, recent interviews has been um, journalists, mm-hmm. um, even progressive politicians who are taking on the role as, let's say, a, a member of the House of Representatives in Rhode Island. That pays fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars per year, and there are several people: Representative Aaron Regenberg, Representative Moira Walsh. There are others who that's what they're doing. They're living bare bones. They're they're at that same point, and there, of course, is the question. Well, that's no way to live. I don't like I don't like living bare bones. I wish we could have flown here today, and you know, whatever. Not that I need the excess, but in other words, I wish that option was there. Of course, you know, at this, you know, there is that that push and pull. Is that really the right way to to live? Is that a good message to send that you can just survive? You don't have to flourish. But I think that yeah, you know, that grind is is reflected in. All people who are capable of maybe going after a career or something that would make them money but leave them feeling soul, uh, uninspired or, or soulless, um, you see that choice and, and it, it seems to pay off. What I've, what I've noticed is that the older musicians, older journalists, uh, whatever, the people who made that choice and stuck with it, it seems, of course, they made it somehow, but even through the struggles – uh, it does seem like it's worth it then to give in to the temptation to just say, hey, you know, what, let's 
let's find some gig again. Because I've been there. I've been, you know, I did the yeah. nine to five, five years, nine, eight to six. I worked at a hedge fund. Uh, it wasn't all bad, you know. I hated most of the most of my day, but there wasn't all bad. There, you know, you could go get a free yogurt at the, you know, or whatever. <laughs> you could do this. You could maneuver. It wasn't yeah. prison, but it, you know, it wasn't great either. It wasn't. It wasn't how I want to live my life. Um, so that's why I'm, I, I think that also inspired me to do podcasting. Really uh, follow that urge to, like you say, that artistic call, and believe that that'll lead you somewhere. Uh, the royal we, I guess, you know, you and I would be would be led somewhere to, uh, um, you know, just being comfortable. Yeah, you know, whatever that means. Whether and if the financial part of it's there, great. If it's if it's just that you feel spiritually aligned, great. You know. Yeah. It's a challenge. Yeah. But it's a beautiful challenge. It is. It's worth it. It's definitely <laughs> it's worth, worth it. it. Yeah. It's definitely worth it. Um. I want to just say really quick, uh, I plan and hope and want to extend uh, future conversations with you because um, there's so much we can talk about um, and I don't have a plan for where this is going to go, mm-hmm. but I don't know that we're going to be able to get to all of it today. Yeah. Um, so I just want to say that and then say um, just uh, can you talk about your experience, any part of it, I guess, but... Uh, you want to explain a little bit about your history here in Bushwick specifically, um, cause that's when I met you and yep. I walked into a magical thing that was going on here at the time, you know? Oh yeah. There was, it was a magical time here. Um, having had never experienced something like that before. Haven't experienced that since I left, uh, have had hints of it, you know, in different places like Newport, there was a hint of it here, uh, for a little while. Um, yeah, I moved, I'm a native Rhode Islander and I moved to Brooklyn in 2006, uh, the summer of 2006. And because I was in a band and the five of us were all moving together from Providence, uh, we got a loft at McKibben, 248 McKibben, which then was fairly affordable. Um, we weren't the front line of people coming in, you know, there were already people there for not, not quite a decade, probably the late nineties, 98, 99 is when it started, but I still got to see the tail end of that initial period of Bushwick. So I wasn't one of those people out there in the beginning, but I met a lot of those people and I was, I still am friends with some of them and I was influenced tremendously by them and their, um, borderline anarchic approach to, to reality, even though they were only 10 minutes away from Manhattan. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, I was heavily inspired by McKibben um, I never really, I never really got into the party side of it too much, uh, and that's the the side I think a lot of people view McKibben as. There was also quite an academic and uh, uh, community uh, side to it as well. And I, I I started hanging out a lot at the Potion Cafe, uh, met all kinds of interesting people from all around the world, talked about physics, music, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, smoked, r- rolled up cigarettes, um, started to feel more comfortable smoking weed, not like I was doing something bad for the the world or whatever. Uh, started to feel more comfortable with myself not drinking, um, being a vegetarian and, and not having to yell about meat, you know, just being doing my thing. I felt very comfortable being myself there. Um, and so did, I think, most of the people I encountered for the next four to five, six years that McKibben grew into a very powerful epicenter of ideas. And there were people like Brian Life, Chris Carr, who were 
uh, Katie Ng, you know, that kind of came in, in that second wave that I got to watch them come in and set up shop and boom, all of a sudden it was very real. And it was like the roving caravan of art that moves throughout history. It parked itself there. Yeah. And it really did park itself there. And I got to be an observer, a participant, and a beneficiary of that. I don't think there's any art school, law school that you could go to uh, that would give you that type of experience. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it was a unique experience. And, you know, when by the, I, when I met you, that was really like that point where I was like, okay, we had, that was 2009, the cafe, or 2008, whatever it was. Yeah, I think it was like, 2009. Yeah, the yeah. cafe, Potion Cafe was... Just closing. Just closing. Much. Yep, we were, everything was kind of that, that the transition was underway from, you know, let's say phase phases one and two to now phase three of the McKibben dream, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, uh, of course, there was a New York Times article right below the fold on the cover of the New York Times, which basically that was the nail in the coffin for the quote unquote neighborhood being cleared from, you know, the, uh, the problematic people, quote unquote, in terms of the real estate world and, and whatnot. Um, so I loved McKibben. I learned so much there, met my wife there, met some of my best friends in the world there, still have an intimate connection with the building. You know, if I walk by, I'll touch it. I can still hear the continuation of certain melodies and lines played by people like my, you know, best friend Chris Knott, you know, a song that he wrote that we would play in 2006, or Steve Nelson. Certain songs is in my mind, maybe I'm insane, but I hear him still bouncing back and forth across the the two buildings like the echo never stopped he's got his time in there yeah um went through enormous tragedy there uh losing friends to suicide and drug overdose um and also watching friends go from playing open mics to being uh world famous top level top tier artists um all these things happen, you know, and that and that and yeah that, and, and, and we got to experience it firsthand we had venues we had everything that we needed infrastructurally to exist as a bubble and we really had a bubble there you know it wasn't mm -hmm. it wasn't uh interacting with the rest of the world particularly right with a few exceptions it was very in insular but um it was magical you know that's the right word to use and when it ended it ended because of well i think a lot of people will blame real estate or whatever i think it just ended because the, the caravan moved on and uh, there's nothing you can do. You can't capture that. It's like lightning in a bottle. And we all just sort of accepted it. And I think the people who have, you know, survived that mentally and, and aren't totally still de depressed and disappointed that McKibben's gone, yeah. essentially, you know, or Bushwick has changed so much, whatever, are the ones who still embrace those ideals but then try to apply them to modern society. Right. And yeah. just have accepted, all right, that can't be the way that we live forever. We'll, let's take what we learned and do something with it to make the world better. Um, at least that's what I try to do. Because otherwise, you, I could see how a person would have a very difficult time facing reality after McKibben. Because it seems so perfect for an artist or for anybody to, to be in this alternate reality of... Uh, not necessarily just bliss. It wasn't. It wasn't just like everyone running around smiling and things. Like I said, there was there was a lot of dark activity yeah, there. Yeah. And uh, and that was a big part of it. That was a part of what taught us all about how to approach the world. You know. Mm -hmm. And now we're like this little secret society that 
is out there, and you know, I'll see Charlie Crockett. You know, the guy's crushing yeah, it. Now. He's yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, we're gonna hang out and talk, and we're gonna have a great time because you know we have a bond that, no matter what, how many times you play Bonnaroo or Tonight Show or whatever it is, that everyone who was a part of it knows the real deal was right there at that open mic or right there in those hallways at five o'clock in the morning talking about songwriting or mm-hmm. right there working on albums in the basement of Meserol or right there, you know, having coffee and, and, and coming up with ideas or helping somebody with a, with a project or whatever, you know, that's, that was the idea, the yeah. ideal world, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And how's the community um, in Rhode Island? And I would imagine probably one of the things like one of the things I've been experiencing, even like I'm still in Bushwick and I'm still in New York, but um, kind of realizing, you, you know, you know it and it can sound cliche, but like really, I think as an artist, but also as a successful anything, it really does come down to community. And so kind of for me, it's like kind of a recent new way I've been approaching things, but it's sort of approaching like how how do I build and connect with the community as opposed to like thinking about how do I get the next gig or how do I get the next this it's like no how do I how do I just connect you know with the community um so I guess yeah what's uh what's happening in in Rhode Island yeah I I completely agree I love my audience I really do uh each individual person who watches an Instagram story or sends me a message about a podcast episode or writes to me about a song or covers a song and posts a video online or comes to a show whatever it is I truly love those people um you know it's very important to me to look at the 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 audience and the goals that I have as really for them, for the audience that I want to be ever growing, but also not worrying about this anonymous, you know, all right, we're going to, pl- we're going to get to some stadium and we're going to play for a million people. Well, that's great too. But yeah, like you say, protecting the, your, your, and acknowledging the community that, that you've built around your music and around your art or whatever it is, your message, uh, Rhode Island, you know, being a native Rhode Islander, I didn't think I'd ever really move back there, at least not this soon. Um, when I was on tour with Gabriella, we met a, a kid, David Passifume, who was in a band called Castle, uh, out in New Haven. We were playing at Cafe Nine together, just randomly, and they're they were a band from Newport, and it was lamenting about how it was hard to live in Brooklyn. It was too expensive, and all this, you know, even though I was working all these jobs and whatever, the scene seemed like it had changed. So they said you should come to Newport. And I was like, Newport, Rhode Island, man, that's like a beach town. That's like a, a resort town. Growing up around, it's like forty five minutes from my house, so it wasn't like really. I didn't think anything of it. He was like, trust me, just come up. We'll book a couple of shows. You guys come up. And we went up and like, that's the closest that I've ever felt to Bushwick as far as a community. Different, much different for sure. Um, But the same idea of a a very supportive community. It's an island. There's only 27,000 people that live there year round. So I found that my music and our band and everything that we were doing found a very warm audience that took time it wasn't right it, you know that would it took a year to find it but once we found it it was similar to Bushwick in that you felt like people really cared about your songs mm-hmm. um they really cared if you wrote a new song you know they really cared about if you got a good gig you know you really cared about going to see your friends bands I would always love to go see see my buddies again 
which was something that for years at the end of New York was such, we were all so spread out. It was like, oh man, you're playing somewhere now. I got to travel an hour to go here. Um, so Newport has that. Providence, which is where I'm living now for the last few months in my, I have a loft. Uh, so back to the loft life, <laughs> which is cool. Um, it's different. Providence has a lot of successful people that, well, Newport does too, but a lot of successful musicians. Um, so it's a little more tiered, I guess. You know, it's interactive and, you know, there's, there are, there are bands that are, are world famous bands in Providence and Newport. There's only a few bands that would tour the U.S., so to speak. So the level, you know, you can have a pretty big show for a lot quicker in Newport, um, I think, than you can in Providence. You know, there's less bands that are doing big things. Um, we're starting to get into that, that category uh, through a lot of hard work and connecting with the right audience, you know, but um, it's more spread out. Providence is a sad place. A lot of people don't like to admit it. There's tremendous poverty. Um, it's a joke to me that the that anybody would say that it's okay in any way to, in Providence right now. Everything's cool. If anyone says that to me, I know they're full of shit because you drive five minutes in any direction, you'll see desperation you never see in New York. The only thing that I can compare to is when Myrtle Broadway was overrun with the, you know, the synthetic oh, weed. Man. Yeah. That level of zombie, um, that level of desperation, just there's a lot of that in Providence. People don't want to admit it. Everyone wants to make it seem like it's this creative capital, which there's a lot of creative people there. Um, the super liberal, it's not, you know, it's <laughs> it's not really. There's There's a lot of desperation there that has to be dealt with. And you encounter these people in Providence that their solution will be, well, let's ban smoking downtown and bus all the homeless people right. out of here. There's plenty of those people and, you know, and, and, and there's not enough. There are people m making strides for sure. But um, that is a huge factor in Providence that I feel is terrible. That there's the business is, is uh, low. Uh, media outlets are letting go of reporters because the advertising revenue is low and you see a lot of desperate people on the street and it doesn't seem like the majority of the population cares. Whereas in oddly in Newport, there's also a tremendously large homeless population per capita. Um, yet I have friends from that community that are genuine friends that I sit there and have conversations with, buy coffee, someone will buy me a coffee. All right, cool. And then they, you, you see these individuals will have a gig like sweeping up the cigarettes outside of a bar for 20 bucks a day. And someone else, you know, their job is to like make sure all the cones are on the street or whatever, just tasks. And the city functions much more harmonically. Yeah. Harmoniously. I yeah, say. yeah. And and that's the biggest difference, I think, between the, the the truth about the communities in Providence and Newport. Yeah, there's a lot of fun people in Providence, students and this and they do cool things. But overarching that is um a major problem. Yeah. You know. Um you're playing a show tonight? Tonight at Rockwood Music Hall, yeah. Seven o'clock, Silver Teeth. Um, yeah, so I was going to ask. Uh, so Silver Teeth, that's the current project. That's been the project for three or four years. Yeah, now. that's that started out. Gabby, Gabriella uh, Rossi and I started playing together, and uh, she's my wife. She also plays bass and writes songs. And it's a band that's a that's a trio with Tom Berglund on drums. She also um, does the intro to Bartholomew Town, right? She does indeed. I remember like, listening to it, and I was like, oh, who's... And I was like, oh, I know who that <laughs> is. Yep. Um, 
And uh, where's the best place for people to find you? Yes. Uh, well, the best place is on Instagram at Bill Bartholomew, Spotify, Bill Bartholomew, or Silver Teeth, and Apple Podcasts, the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Cool. Um, do you have any final thoughts or words? I'm really excited you're doing this podcast. I think it's great. I think the world needs more of your type of thinking and your your approach to everything you're doing. So great work. Keep it up. Um, my message is Bushwick is uh, it's still an amazing place. Um, there's still a lot of things happening here that are incredible. And I think when you get too caught up in saying, oh, well, this was better in the past, well, there's always going to be that, you know, and it's always going to be better in the future as well. You know, there's always – I, I personally yeah. have wasted a lot of time myself being – you know, it's tough to criticize yourself for being depressed about something. But I was very depressed about the collapse of McKibben and, and the various I went, things. Oh, I went through that too. And I'm still not fully recovered now yeah. um, nearly six, seven, eight years later. I'm still searching for that every day. I still try to find that that piece. Yeah. Um, I've tried almost everything, uh, you know, that that's, you know, what you would, that, whether it's following music all the way or, or community, whatever. And I still haven't been able to get back to that. And that might just be because we we're all at a certain age and everything was happening and Obama was elected and the stock market collapsed and there was a lot of things and Ron Paul was out there too so there was like just music was in an interesting place you know it was it was transitioning it was kind of before YouTube and Spotify so you still had a a, a value to local music that is there now but it was different you know mm -hmm. and yeah it's my message you know try to don't get so upset. I'm, I'm tired of seeing people on Facebook, uh, more from the Williamsburg scene. You know, oh, man, it used to be so great here. Well, you know what, man? Then you can move. Like, right. You can move. You don't have to stay in New York if you hate it so much. But because you're here, like, you have, unlike me now that I've left, you actually have the ability to do something about it. Finances are a huge obstacle. Yeah, corporations and all this, that, and the other. Yeah, of course. But – you can do something about it. That's why you doing this podcast, throwing the name Bushwick on it, giving it, giving that identity to Bushwick as an artistic and inspired place, not just a trustafarian. Um, you know, it's, it seems like people roll their eyes when they talk about Bushwick right, right. now. A lot of times, you know, and and it used when to it's like, yeah, there is there are a lot of you know trust fund kids and whatever and whatever. Like, yeah, you know they've what I mean? always like, been here. Yeah, and. But also, there's a lot of people still grinding it out here. Like there are, like Chris Carr is still here. Absolutely, a lot of people are still here, and it's like <laughs> struggling with all the rising rents and all of that. Um, people are still grinding it out. Like it's not the same, but it's not all bad either. It's you know? not all bad yeah. at all. And I it's mean, also what yeah. you make of it. Like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's exciting too when you have. Um, when you know, like, all right, you walk down the street and you see that there's this cafe and there's a new grocery store and there's this, that, and the other. For me, it's exciting to think about, well, not that long ago, there were cars on fire out here mm -hmm. and nobody wanted – you couldn't get a cab to take you to these yep. neighborhoods. You really couldn't. Yeah. You call Bushwick Car Service, they would not pick you up at McKibben and Bogart or anything like that. They just wouldn't do it. You'd have to take the train to somewhere to get a cab. Yeah. Now, you know, you think about that um, – Obviously, you displaced people, in the, or people have been displaced. People have been marginalized. All this, all there's been tons of negativity. At the same time, we were responsible for transitioning a neighborhood that wasn't doing a whole lot for the city productively to now, uh, you know, kind of a productive place where business is happening and, and people are living more comfortably. Um, 
you know, and I, I, I take pride in that. You know, I mean, it's sad too to say, oh man, I used and to get my sandwich here and do my thing. And it's it's interesting though because like yeah, like the artists that came in in those waves, like a lot of people have been pushed out from that group, but yeah. the people who've been in Bushwick for forty years, for thirty, you know, for the people who grew up and really are from Bushwick, like well, we haven't of, even talked about that. And, but a lot of right. them are still here because yep. of the unique nature of Bushwick. Like some of those people owned houses. There is still a lot of like rent control if you're like the old school people. So for that, like I love it because even while it's changing, all the like like the culture's not getting completely stand- like it's a it's a unique place like that. And I hope that that aspects you know, stays. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something to be honest with you. I didn't even think of right now, which is a shame, you know, because that's obviously the most important part of a neighborhood is that there have been, there were people here that have roots going way back. Bushwick in particular, it, it is a little bit of a, you know, a transitional right. phase. There's been a lot of nomadic activity. There was a great fire that, 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 you know, 1970s or something that yeah. it has changed over the years. There aren't, a, it's not like, yeah, thousands and thousands and right. thousands of people were pushed out so we could have our little artist community. It worked when we were there. It worked very well together. I never once felt threatened. I never once felt um, like I was stepping on anyone's toes if I would walk over to Bank of America on, on Graham Avenue. Same same token, when someone from that part of the neighborhood would come to our open mic, they were welcomed with open arms. You yeah. Know? And I think that that was just organic. There was no sign in the window that said, we accept all races, all all this. We just did it. We just lived in the same neighborhood with everybody and had the same goals for the most part of, of living a good life. Yeah. That is very true about Bushwick. That's an important point that you raise is that the real Bushwickers are here and they have a lineage that's much stronger um, than, than the artist community. Um, only... The only thing is that the artist community really did work at the beginning phases. We really did work well together as a community. Yeah. Never had any issues. Never had any situations where someone felt like they were being kind of stepped on. Right. You know, and I, maybe I'm sure there were issues. But in terms of 10 years here, I never remember one moment of racial tension in Bushwick or yeah. one moment of homophobic activity. Uh, yeah. Coming from, let's say, you know, from uh, someone who's yeah, you know, like it was in a either safe... direction. It was a safe space for mm-hmm. everybody, and there, and it was just that way because we're all kind of like on the open-minded same, just and nor- yeah, yeah, like yeah. Living, that to me is normal. You yeah. know, that's normal living. Like that's, exactly, that's, we just no, <laughs> yeah. we just lived, and no one judged anybody. You know, we all went to the same bodega. Nobody had a million dollars on, you know, maybe some people did, but most people weren't living that way. It's life, sort of like, know? I always forget, I always get my Emmas mixed up. So there's Emma Watson, Emma Thompson, Hermione Granger. Yeah. Uh, she, she had a quote, like, it's probably like a year or two ago now, but like, she doesn't like the term feminist because she's like, shouldn't that just be a decent person? Like, shouldn't that just be a regular person? Like, what the definition of a feminist, not a sexist asshole, like, right. That shouldn't necessarily be called a feminist. It should just be kind of the default, and which is an important point. Yeah, I, I personally do agree with that entirely, and, yeah. and I understand the importance of every bit of conversation that's happening now and whenever. And I, I know for a fact. I mean, I've been called a faggot on the street in Newport recently, and plenty of times. I got long hair, so I guess that, or maybe it's just a demeaning quote or whatever it is. I don't know, but I know the hatred's out there. I mean, the president of the United States is is. Donald Trump. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, I mean, so we know it's there. I'm not naive. And I know that that conversation has to start. 
and you have to make these kind of tools like creating the idea of a feminist. I completely agree with that sentiment that there really shouldn't be such a thing, you know, but the reality is, you know, I was raised, I had my, my dad was in my life, you know, it was, but mostly by my mom, my aunt, my cousin, my sister, you know, I come from an interracial family, you know what I mean? You know, gay family members, you know, whatever, you know, so I'm, I guess I'm in a different, slightly different spot where this kind of hatred is just like, what the hell is, where did you, where were you raised? That's what I think when I see this, but, um, and, but I agree, it would be great to live in a world where there's no such sign, there would never be a sign in my world that says all races, um, means of identification, sexes, whatever, uh, are accepted here. That sign would never be posted right. anywhere because it'd be completely unnecessary. Yeah. That, that to me, when I see that sign, it makes me, which is, again, it, important. kind of like, what's the, it needs to be there. Here? Yeah. It does need to be yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But I don't like it. That's not, right. that should not be there for long. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you don't want to be violent. You can't advocate for violence. So all you can do is, um, just try to be a better person and, you know, like my buddy is an, uh, has an arm, uh, had an arm, an incident where he had his arm amputated. He was on my podcast last week and we were sitting there going back and forth. Uh, is there a correct terminology for someone who has lost a limb? He called himself an amputee. And then we were going back and forth for like, is that the right thing? We're trying to Google it. Is that, is that going to offend somebody? Mm-hmm. Like that term, like an amputee, it, it, it could. Like we, we, he was being serious. Like I'm not, he's saying I'm not offended by it. Like, but someone else out there may, see that as demeaning where there's a better term and then we kind of hit the brakes and we're like well wait a minute what is it you know why are we having this we're going around semantics the conversation should be about is the door you're trying to get into accessible for you right you know, we're not what we call you because we, you know because it's everyone's feelings are going to get hurt but at the same time like i'm i think there are too many mean-spirited people so you've got to have those correct terminology you got to reiterate it you got to hit people with that even the good-hearted people need to be reminded I, you know and i think ultimately that kind of thing because yeah you can get lost in the semantics but i think the important thing is that you're conscious enough to ask and question absolutely that. like that's the most important thing because also with it it's like to also understand it's not that there's one particular thing if he uses chooses to identify that way cool somebody else may have a completely different way and both of them are correct that's because right. ultimately it's like anybody if we're really going to be free individuals anybody should be able to identify self-identify any way they want to absolutely i mean you know yeah i mean that i have a very strong element of libertarianism that came from just probably living life in the countryside by myself but also when uh, in 2008 at mckibben there was a little bit of a Ron Paul movement. And um, and so I said, well, wait a minute, we've got Obama. Why would I ever want to look at this other guy? And when I started to look at the, the Ron Paul libertarian side of things, I realized a lot of that is the end game for the progressive liberal platform. And I think the debate is like, can we go straight to that end game where everyone just does their thing unbothered? Or do we need the progressive platform to essentially coach the world to get there so we can do it. I yeah. think we need I, it. I think we need because Trump's president. I get, you know, you see people every day. So we, now it's like, oh man, we need that. But we should just be free and do yeah. our thing. My, the, my, yeah. So like with that, it's like, I think 
I get the ideals of it. The problem, the only problem I would see overall is that there are people who, <laughs> there are unfortunately people and businesses. I think it's an old, I think it's medieval mindset, but there are people and there are, are businesses who believe that in order for them to survive and thrive, they need to hurt others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. with that, like if everybody's free to do their own thing, there are going to be people with a very like harsh agenda. And so with that, yeah. that's like why for me, I'm more, I'm definitely like a, like straight up Bernie. Mm-hmm. Like when I found him, I was like, okay, here we go. Cause, um, the Republican, like the Republican agenda, like we got to wrap this up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. Um, when they talk about, cause they kind of preach a fake, uh, libertarian thing i think sometimes because it's oh um you know no taxes um let people let business do their thing but the businesses aren't like putting money back um and also it's like no let let people be free to do their unless they do this so it's like it's they constantly contradict themselves um and that's like inferior so that's where yeah i i think especially right now like we have to i want everybody to be free to do their own thing but also i think we have to have discussions about which direction we want to go and what type of society we want to be like what you know let's let's actually have like i think the republicans have dominated the moral conversation and democrats haven't fought back with well let's talk about morality what is our morality like as a as a country as a nation as a people, what do we represent? And right now, yeah, I think we're at a point where we, like, it's really coming to a head. Like, what? The civil war has yeah. already begun. You know, this is just the, I don't know if it'll ever be fought with weapons of, you know, like, good bullets and things like that, um, you know, but certainly treasure and, uh, you know, morality and power is on the line right now. Yeah. I think you're seeing, in Rhode Island, it's interesting, and I'll be very brief, there's, um, the Democratic Party has, completely stronghold they have all but like 12 seats in the house they have all the state offices it's massively uh democratic however now you're seeing um people coming along who are challenging the incumbent democrats from the left you got matt brown progressive coming out you've got aaron reaganberg coming after lieutenant governorship and now lincoln chafee former senator the only republican who voted no in the iraq war always been a pro-choice social safety net person massively liberal but republican because of his fiscal views he's now challenging sheldon whitehouse um, a pretty liberal senator from the left as well yeah so he you have this push where within the democratic party i'm seeing the mainstream kind of dino democrat name only being called out like you say we have cynthia nixon doing that here oh yeah sure yep Um, yeah exactly and i support this like no matter what happens with it i support it because the democratic establishment which if it's a question of democrat or republican in a broad like in a simple answer yeah i'm definitely democrat and i'm really there's nothing about the republican platform that i like really identify with i'm down to like listen to it yep but that being said what the democratic establishment is does not represent me either no to the way. Left, yeah. like you know <laughs> and it's supposed to be at least like what happened in this last election, the presidential election is 
for the first time I saw, oh, not only do I not feel represented, I feel like you're not even allowing my voice to be heard. And that was like the issue that kind of led to like a civil war within the Democratic Party. Yeah, um, no question. Because a lot of people, I think, like I think it's been happening, you know, I think overall, like obviously like these candidates, you know, these more progressive candidates are addressing it. But money in politics is like the, the the big problem, the corruption overall of the whole thing. You know, absolutely. And I think that the people, by and large, you know, you look at John Kerry voted for the Iraq War, lost. Hillary Clinton, round one, voted for the Iraq War, lost to Obama. Round two, she voted for the Iraq War. She lost to Donald Trump. Yeah, she lost. The, the Secretary Clinton lost the presidential election to Donald Trump. Yeah. There you go. I think most people who are Democrat in heart, you know, and have that spirit, do not identify with John Kerry. They don't identify with Secretary Clinton. Secretary Kerry, uh, Secretary Clinton. These people are not part of what we want as progressive people, and right. we know that. And now, since Bernie and since Elizabeth Warren, and now in Rhode Island, we're seeing it, and we're seeing it in New York State. We'll probably have within our lifetime multiple political parties. And I bet that that progressive party has a lot more people who will be behind it than the mainstream Democrats are are planning on. Yeah. You know? And maybe it'll collapse. Maybe the whole thing will just collapse and we'll have – go back to the Whig party or something. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get over this. This is terrible. Yeah. This is awful. These people <laughs> are are so entrenched power-wise that it, it, it's sickening. You know? Yeah. Let's just get some new ideas, you know – and they're on a constant campaign. Like, that's the other problem. Like, oh, terrible. You know? Mm. It's, it's it's insane. I mean, it, you know, it's it's also about what I where are we going? You know what I mean? Look at mm-hmm. the rest of the world. Like, you know, the Acela train, the, the you know, the expensive brand, the fast train that, that goes from uh, Providence or goes from Boston to D.C. I remember Gabriella, who's from Brazil, when, she, when we were hanging out one time and the train came by and I said, oh, yeah, there's the Acela. It's only like 300 bucks to go to New York. And she was like, really? That's... That should just be the regular train, right? Like, what? Where are we as a country? Yeah, like, drone op, drone pilots. Like, that's the future. Like, solar, wind, hydropower, blockchain technology, investing in local infrastructure. That's what people want and need. And all these people at at the top are just goons. And yeah. don't mention that at all. It's just a. It's just they're just puppets and and. Luckily, we see through it. I think we all we're starting to see through it, and people are getting angry. People are running for office. People are supporting new candidates, and as a result, podcasters are going to benefit. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I think that's a good spot to stop well, on the podcasting. Thank you thing. so much for having me on your show. I, I was super excited when I got the invitation, and. Uh, like Studios I said, man, beautiful. I want to like anytime you're in New York, let's just come on in and have a conversation. And uh, do you want to play a song? Sure. Yeah. Got my electric. Somewhere. Cool. Yeah. I've been waking up to an imposter in my own bed. Still she gets me through the night Worn out welcomes empty stairs Evaporate like water 
Still she brings me back to life Blocks me from the light I'm so frozen up inside Drink themselves till they're blue Don't want to throw myself into the wild I just want to move back in with you I really want to move back in with you No, I don't miss any of the cursing or the tension but I miss your loving arms All the things we talk about And the way we talk about them Others ramble on about what I should do I don't want to throw myself into denial I just want to move back in with you Yeah, Mother Nature will bring me back to you Mother Mary will somehow guide me through about my favorite uh, roommates at the G. (laughs) (laughs) I've been waking up to an imposter. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Great show. Really happy to be on it. Congratulations. You too, man. Good. So that was my conversation with Bill Bartholomew. I really enjoyed catching up with him. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Uh, Catch up with Bill at at Bill Bartholomew on Instagram or uh, Bartholomew Town Podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And the links to those will be on the show notes on BushwickVarietyShow.com. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope whatever you're pursuing or thinking about pursuing, do something for it. Do something and connect with people. That's really what it's all about. Hope you have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review, and share Bushwick Variety Show wherever you listen to podcasts. But whatever you do, just know how grateful I am and thankful for your ears so far. Have a good one.